You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC is not going to be getting a new official statutory holiday next Monday, but recognizing the importance of the Queen's funeral will have widespread implications for many. For starters, BC's schools will be closed. Another challenge for parents. Kylie Stanton has more. With preparations for the Queen's funeral well underway in London, countries around the world are making their own plans. And Canada is no exception. We have uh, also uh, chosen to move forward uh, with uh, a uh, federal holiday uh, on Monday. While this does not apply to all workers, roughly 319,000 public servants will get a surprise holiday weekend. But soon many more could be added to that list. We will be working with the provinces uh, and uh, the uh, territories uh, to try and see that we're aligned on this. There are still uh, a few details to be worked out. BC's Premier announcing late Tuesday the province is on board, advising provincial public sector employers to honour the day, which means most Crown corporations, public post-secondary institutions and K-12 public schools will close. And with only six days to prepare, parents are left scrambling. Yeah, it definitely poses a, a scheduling problem. I'd have to find childcare for the whole day. Between the National Day of Mourning, a professional development day for many school districts, as well as Truth and Reconciliation Day, that's now three non-instructional days within the first month of the school year. If schools close, I still have to work, so it's a lot for parents to manage. Courts will also close. This could be fairly disruptive, um, particularly for people who perhaps have made travel arrangements in order to be at their court dates, uh, or for people who are waiting on uh, court orders in order to proceed with their lives. Thank you. And businesses are raising concerns. A sudden change, I would have to say, in business operations, uh, such that what we are expecting on Monday is definitely going to, per going to impact business operations. It will be up to private sector employers whether or not they choose to remain open for the day. The Premier will be joining other dignitaries for a ceremonial procession and commemorative service for the Queen in Victoria. But like the holiday itself, the details are still being worked out. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Yeah, while many in B.C. are getting a day off, that is not the case across the country. As mentioned, public schools and crown corporations will be closed here in B.C. It will be a one-off provincial holiday in Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island. Provinces who are not declaring it a holiday are Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario and Quebec. Alberta has yet to decide. BC Health Minister Adrian Dix is being criticized for not doing enough to address critical health care problems in the province. Mayors were expecting something big from him as they gathered at their annual convention, but as Richard Zussman reports, many of them came away disappointed. A shortage on the front lines of health care leading to a packed room of municipal leaders to hear solutions. But although Health Minister Adrian Dix has big ideas... He was short on new ideas. We've added 38,000 people to the healthcare system. Can you imagine how many people that is? Nearly one million British Columbians don't have a family doctor, and communities across the province have seen hospitals closed due to a lack of staff. Dix did provide these ideas, speeding up the accreditation process for foreign doctors, expanding the role of pharmacists, and changing the pay structure for family doctors, but no dollars attached. Certainly wasn't 
um, my intention today uh, to come here and to make this a set piece for my announcement. It was to listen to people, it was to engage in the discussion, talk to them about the situation, talk to them about what we're doing to, to resolve those problems. This was an opportunity for the minister to step up, acknowledge that we have a crisis in British Columbia and do something to help the anxiety that people are feeling. He did absolutely nothing to do that today. Frustration building from mayors and councillors lining up to express concerns about the health care crisis in their community. How is the ministry holding the health authorities accountable? When we talked about options, I, I didn't hear too many. Minister Dix told reporters here in Whistler that the death of the Queen also potentially impacted announcements, but that his plan always was to come here and listen. Mayors had a different understanding of why the health minister was here. It's frustrating because on things like the patient care network, we've been listening to that conversation for three and a half years right now. It is the slowest conversation that we can have. We just got through a pandemic where we all pivoted really quickly to enact things to solve health care crises. That's not happening with this at the speed it should. In Clearwater, Mayor Merlin Blackwell barely sleeps over concerns of an emergency room in the community chronically understaffed, describing the crisis as constant PTSD. I have my fire chiefs, they won't go off and respond to calls too far out of town. They won't help uh, neighboring communities during the wildfire season because they know they have to be there. And a hope from these mayors is when they need the province and the healthcare system, it will be there as well. Richard Zussman, Global News, Whistler. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more on our stressed health care system. Keith, despite what Adrian Dick said about bringing thousands of new people into mm -hmm. the health care system, it's still stressed, and the data shows demand is very high. Very high and getting higher. People are coming. We're not out of the pandemic. We're certainly at a different stage here. People are accessing the healthcare system like never before. The demand is actually quite dramatic. Take a look at some of the increases from uh, before the pandemic and now. So one week in August, about 6,365 surgeries were performed. That is about 353 over a similar week just before the pandemic began. Now, we're seeing a real explosion. Diagnostic services, 300,000 MRIs a year. That's up 69% from 2016, almost a million CT exams a year, a 30% increase since 2016. Where it's also interesting and troubling is on ambulance calls. There are different type of codes applied to ambulance calls, different color codes. So the most serious codes for ambulance calls are purple and red codes, and those are going up in numbers significantly, a 12% increase over what we saw before the pandemic. So again, you do the math there, 159,000 calls this year, 133,000 purple red calls in the year before the pandemic. The number, the percentage of all calls is increasing. These are the most serious cases. Health authorities and health officials are perplexed why this is. I've talked to them. It could be the aging population uh, warrants more serious care, more heart attacks and strokes perhaps. And as the boomer generation starts to go into older years, that phenomena of more serious ambulance calls could continue to increase year after year. It's something to keep an eye on. It sure is. Okay, thanks, Keith. Now to some shocking video from Surrey highlighting the mental health and addictions crisis on our streets and how it's compounding the ambulance shortage. A man was caught on camera blocking an ambulance and then climbing on top of it before police arrested him. Krista Dow has the details. Nothing better to do. The video is stunning. A man bare-chested wearing a backpack and holding a cigarette is blocking an ambulance. Seconds later, he scales to the top of the truck right in the middle of traffic. 
It was very short, you know, a minute or two. And to my surprise, he climbed up on top of the ambulance and laid down. Yeah, the, the ambulance was just over here at the intersection. The incident happened on August 23rd in Surrey. Mounties were initially called for reports of an unwanted person at a store and later arrived to find the situation had escalated. While it's unclear what led the man to behave the way he did, witnesses say they're also concerned about what happened next. It's not a normal thing to do, block an ambulance, especially now with the way the BC Ambulance are struggling to get to places. The last thing you'd want to do. The video, while shocking, perhaps provides a snapshot into the mental health and addictions crisis intersecting with BC's ambulance shortage. The more and more mental health we see on the streets, and this is indicative of that. So anytime you uh, delay emergency service in somebody's time of need, um, that puts risk on the public. Uh, with respect to safety, obviously the safety of that individual climbing up top, that's not a stable environment. I felt so sorry for that person because obviously he's in distress. Well, what laws have to be changed in order to ensure that we're all protected as well as himself? Oh, there's the boys in blue. RCMP say the man eventually came down and was arrested, wanted on an outstanding warrant. He was later taken to hospital by police for a checkup. Thankfully, BC EHS says that call was a non-urgent medical call and paramedics were delayed about 20 minutes. This was not a serious event and it didn't turn out to be a serious event, but the risk was definitely there. A close call for when every second matters at a time when ambulances are already running behind. Krista Dow, Global News. Now, it's a big election promise that will get the attention of anyone looking for a home in Vancouver. In his bid for re-election, Kennedy Stewart says he'd get more than 200,000 new homes built in the next decade. But as Global's Grace Key explains, critics say the plan is too bold to be believed. This one-bedroom, 500-square-foot rental on Broadway is $1,200 a month, one of 23 below-market and 91 market rentals. Forward Together says its new housing plan will allow for more affordable housing in Vancouver. Simply put, this is the most ambitious housing plan in the city's history. The plan approves 220,000 new homes over 10 years, including rental, below-market rental, social housing and co-ops, extends rent protections, makes public hearings and permitting more efficient, creates a specialized project team to cut red tape, and maintains the empty homes tax. The plan here is to, uh, is to approve 220,000 units. Uh, we know that houses can't get built unless they're approved, and so that is the main job that we're doing at the city. Uh, by increasing approvals, we're enabling uh, the construction. And this is likely going to be a promise of most of the other parties that are running for mayor, but then at the same time, will it actually solve the problem? Andy Yan, SFU City Program Director, calls these paper homes, saying it's been a challenge to get from approvals to completions. If you actually look at again, the history of, of construction in the city of Vancouver, there's only five to 7,000 units per year that are actually completed. So that gap is actually pretty sizable in terms of what gets approved versus what actually gets built. Earlier this year, then-Housing Minister David Eby criticized municipalities, saying too many proposals were getting hung up at the permit approval stage. Many of the parties will probably be talking about expediting, expediting their, their processes, but the issue is, will that be seen in terms of savings or affordability for the actual end user? Housing affordability will be a key driver in the Vancouver municipal election. Candidates hope their promises will resonate with voters. Grace Key, Global News. A major police operation near Headley in the B.C. interior.
put the gun down, put the gun down. Why RCMP were so focused on the blue bus down by the river. That's next on the news hour. One man's million bottle pledge, how he was inspired to clean up the mess others leave behind and how much further he has to go later on the news hour. And a logging truck causes a big splash in Penticton. Why it's submerged in the channel coming up. Right now, though, one man is dead and a woman is in serious condition after they were both shot by police during an attempted arrest. The incident unfolded just west of Karameas and shut down Highway 3 for several hours. Taya Fast has the story. It was a tense morning in a usually quiet community near Karameas. Pretty quiet area up here. Nothing like this has happened before. A man is dead and a woman is in serious condition after the pair was shot by police during an attempted arrest. They said, get on the ground, uh, come out of the uh, bus. Both of you come out with your hands up. Then a stun gun would go off again. And then uh, I heard about four shots, bang, 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 bang. And it was all quiet. According to RCMP, police tried to arrest the pair on outstanding warrants when the situation turned violent. They had uh, adopted a policy where they were going to go in uh, to the situation with some force and that we uh, should be aware that we'd hear a lot of noise. Residents in a neighboring trailer park say the pair lived in a bus in an area that is often frequented by squatters. I've seen the people maybe twice swimming in the river. It was a man and a woman. And, that's, and that bus has been here all summer. The incident shut down Highway 3 for several hours as RCMP's explosive disposal unit was called in to secure the area. That unofficial campsite is just beyond the police tape behind me. And further down the driveway, police seem to have their investigation focused around a camper and a blue bus. And the Independent Investigations Office is now investigating the shooting. Police do say uh, and allege that the individual had a weapon. Um, and that that played a role in the interaction. We, of course, want to carry out our own investigation to confirm or deny those facts. Residents say the incident has left an uneasy feeling in the community. It's just kind of scary that that, that kind of stuff is happening in our little community. TFS, Global News, Caramias. A warning now, our next story does contain some disturbing content. A 21-year-old man is sentenced to life in prison for a brazen Burnaby murder caught on video. Here, five shots, and then you see the victim fall to the ground. The shooter trips as he tries to run off. Seconds before, a surveillance image captures the victim, 19-year-old Alberton Delipi, and his friend leaving a vape shop with a clear image of the gunman right behind them. Ahmed Tahir is pleading guilty and won't be eligible for parole for 17 years. IHIT says both parties were well known to police. The murder happened in May of last year in the 7700 block of 6th Street. Yeah, it's an absolute tragedy that for, for both these young men, specifically the victim who died, he was uh, 19 years old and he'll never get to live his life. And uh, I've had the opportunity personally to meet with his family, and I, I know how devastating this is for them. The court heard the murder may have been in revenge for another deadly shooting that occurred in Coquitlam the month before. 
Kelowna RCMP say a recent bust of an alleged bike chop shop is an example of why citizens should not attempt to take the law into their own hands. This is what police found when they raided what they described as a sophisticated camp where five men had been living. Officers seized loaded firearms, knives, machetes and bear spray along with a lot of cash. They also found a number of bikes and other suspected stolen items. Five suspects were arrested. RCMP say the outcome might have been very different had members of the public attempted to enter the encampment to retrieve stolen items. Just ahead, the Queen comes home. The procession that delivered the body of Elizabeth II to Buckingham Palace and what happens next. Also ahead, the blow to the royal family is more than just emotional. Why it might never recover financially later. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge with just a little bit of volume southbound on McBride through the Queen's Park stretch on the approach. At BCAA, we are over 100 million members strong and moving you forward through the power of membership. Join the movement today at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison at Global One at the Patello Bridge. Queen Elizabeth is now back at her official London residence, her coffin now in Buckingham Palace for one last evening. On Wednesday, the casket will be taken to Westminster Hall, where hundreds of thousands of people are expected to see her lying in state. Meanwhile, the new king, Charles III, continues his tour of the UK by visiting Northern Ireland. Global's Europe correspondent Redmond Shannon reports. Daybreak in Edinburgh as Scotland prepares to say its final farewell to Queen Elizabeth, her coffin lying at rest overnight in St. Giles Cathedral. We'll tell her when she's old enough to understand uh, that she was here part of the history uh, at such a sad, sombre time. For those who braved the long lines, a sense of history and privilege. It's difficult to into words, it just, the emotion is just too much. 33,000 people filed past the coffin over 24 hours, according to the Scottish Government. The Queen's coffin then taken to Edinburgh Airport for the short flight to London. The late monarch arriving for one last night in Buckingham Palace before the lying in state begins at Westminster Hall Wednesday evening. Another historic flight in Belfast Tuesday, the new King continuing his tour of the UK. A joyous moment outside Hillsborough Castle for members of Northern Ireland's unionist community. Inside the castle, the new king meeting First Minister-designate Michelle O'Neill, an Irish Republican who wants to reject the monarchy and reunite with Ireland. A meeting once unthinkable. Today, even Republican leaders say the late Queen Elizabeth helped to heal some of the wounds of history. She personally demonstrated how individual acts of positive leadership can help break down barriers and encourage reconciliation. My mother saw Northern Ireland pass through momentous uh, and historic changes. Through all those years, she never ceased to pray for the best of times for this place and its people. After his visits to Scotland and Northern Ireland, the new king finishes his UK tour on Friday in Cardiff, Wales. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. Now the Queen's passing is a major emotional blow. 
and it has wide-ranging short-term impacts to the UK economy as well as the royal family brand. But longer term, experts say the royal family may never financially recover from her loss. Global's Anne Gaviola has more on why this truly marks the ushering in of a new era. The Queen's death marks not only the loss of the UK and Canada's constitutional head, but the figurehead and brand ambassador of the monarchy itself. I mean, there really is no one like the Queen, right? The royal family's brand value was ranked fourth globally in 2017 behind only Google, Apple and Amazon. The financial juggernaut that is the royal family enterprise, known as the firm, is a pillar of UK tourism, goodwill in trade, services and merchandise. Nostalgia spending is likely to drive a short-term bump in revenue for a beloved queen. I must confess I, I shed a few tears because she was such a remarkable woman. The royal family enterprise costs British taxpayers $700 million annually and generates $3.7 billion in revenue. That's part of the UK's $3.5 trillion GDP. There will be one-time costs associated with the queen's funeral and the coronation of King Charles III Analysts say the many millions spent on those events and the cost of a national holiday could tip Britain into a small technical recession. Though the king has committed to running a financially slimmed-down enterprise, royal researcher Emily Stedman says it's in keeping with his mother. There was this famous story that went out um, that she would go around Buckingham Palace turning the lights off to get down the energy bill, um, which kind of just shows her sort of, I don't know, wartime mentality. But questions abound about how her son and family will fare as brand custodians. The popularity of the monarchy abroad has certainly dwindled in certain years and people feel it's, it is out of touch or it's dated. A new survey from Leger and the Association of Canadian Studies finds that in this country we are split on whether Charles will be a good king. But the vast majority are pretty indifferent to Canada's new head of state. The significance of, of the Queen passing away may feel almost a, a you know alien or, or divorced experience and I think that there is going to be a, a certain degree of discourse that will need to happen in Canada around the idea of, of the place of the royal family. Anne Gaviola, Global News, Toronto. A beloved police officer killed in an ambush. The Toronto area shooting rampage that has many families grieving next. Also coming up, the massive fire burning out of control near one of BC's biggest hydropower facilities. Flow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel, and after a busy afternoon commute, traffic is eased off nicely in both directions. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish was in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. First responders in the greater Toronto area are shaken up following the fatal shooting of a police officer in Mississauga yesterday. Condolences are pouring in from across the country for the officer's family, as well as the family of a business owner who was also killed by the gunman. Global's Kyle Benning has more. Condolences are pouring in from first responders as they face a loss of one of their own. Constable Andrew Hong worked for more than two decades as an officer for the Toronto Police Service and lost his life in what investigators call an unprovoked ambush at a Mississauga Tim Hortons. If Andrew hugged you, you would feel it for about seven days. That's how I describe Andrew. So he, uh, he did everything big. 
His colleagues remember him dearly as a good-hearted person. The police board held a moment of silence in his memory before starting a meeting Tuesday. With his death, he's made the ultimate sacrifice to keeping his community safe, and for that, we extend our deepest gratitude for his service and for his sacrifice. Police said Constable Hong was on a lunch break when he was shot and killed. Another person suffered life-altering injuries in the Mississauga shooting. The rampage carried on to Milton, west of Toronto, where car mechanic Shaquille Ashraf was shot and killed. A GoFundMe campaign has been started in his name for his wife and two daughters. Two other people were injured during the shooting at the garage. Police tracked the suspect to a Hamilton cemetery, where he died in custody. Hong was participating in joint training exercises with Mississauga first responders, including some members of the city's fire department. Would have had a coffee, would have had a few laughs with them, and when they left for lunch that day, there would have been no thought in their mind that somebody was not coming home. Hong leaves behind a wife, two children and his parents. Toronto's former police chief and current emergency preparedness minister also sharing his remorse for the constable's family and police service. They're very much in my, my thoughts in my heart today. I, I know what it's like for the police community all too well, unfortunately. Peel Region Police is working with police services in the greater Toronto area on an investigation for these incidents. And Ontario's Special Investigations Unit is looking into the circumstances of the suspect's death. Kyle Benning, Global News. A logging truck flew into the Penticton Channel after a late-night crash. You can still see the truck submerged in the water below. Penticton RCMP responded to the single vehicle collision at the end of Channel Parkway at Skaha Lake Road around 1.30 this morning. Police say the logging truck breached the bridge's guardrail and went right into the water. The truck remains submerged in the channel while the provincial government conducts its investigation. No injuries were reported, surprisingly. Traffic is expected to be impacted at the intersection because the logging truck is stuck there and still needs to be removed. A campfire is being blamed for a fire that was spotted in the Lower Seymour Conservation Reserve in North Vancouver earlier today. Watershed protection staff responded quickly and located the small blaze about three kilometers up the Seymour Valley on the west side of the river. The flames have been brought under control and crews will remain on site to monitor the situation. Metro Vancouver is currently under a high fire danger risk and campfires are banned. Yeah, it could have been very serious. You know, right now the fire danger is high. Um, there is a provincial campfire ban in place, and that's why these kind of things are in place. Um, the fire was found in steep terrain. Uh, if we didn't get on it fast, it could have been very disastrous here. The fire has been brought under control, and crews will remain on site for a couple of days to monitor the situation. Summer is winding down, but there is no end in sight to the wildfire season. 200 fires are still burning across the province. Unseasonably hot and dry weather is creating a dangerous situation for at least one community, and the firefighters trying to save it. Kamal Karamali reports. It may be mid-September, but the battle against wildfires in B.C. is still in full swing. This is a very late end to the wildfire season. It's not over. So far from over, the district of North Vancouver has been asked to send some of their firefighters up north to help protect homes. Right now we've got a five-person structure protection crew. And they're not alone. More than a dozen fire departments from around the province are being called on, with just over a week left until autumn rolls around. I was ready to start packing it up for the summer, and then this kicked off, and it's just that this is basically the same type of uh, 
uh, fire behavior we had in the middle of August. Uh, it's totally uh, not the norm. As of Tuesday afternoon, there are five wildfires of note across the province. Two of them had resulted in evacuation orders. The Battleship Mountain wildfire, now more than 28,000 hectares in size, resulting in more than 800 people being evacuated from their properties in Hudson's Hope. The Flood Falls Trail fire, although only 500 plus hectares in size, burning dangerously close to the municipality of Hope, had resulted in the evacuation of a dozen homes. Those residents allowed back to their properties late Tuesday. The Flood Falls Trail fire shrouding the area in smoke Tuesday. Our weather, um, we're supposed to see increased smoke and cloudy conditions this morning, but we're hoping for those lower temperatures and uh, continued light showers. While the weather seems to be cooperating near Hope, the Battleship Mountain wildfire continues to see strong winds and dry conditions, increasing the threat to Hudson's Hope. We're not out of the weeds just yet. Uh, there is still a risk to the town. Many evacuees staying in Fort St. John, while others have chosen to stay behind. The lengthy wildfire season concerning to firefighters. It is a, a different year for sure. Now expected to even spread into October. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Well, residents of Metro Vancouver are breathing a bit easier today thanks to improving air quality, but it could be a few more days before we receive the all clear. An air quality advisory remains in place due to the wildfires, but there has been an improvement over Monday. There are still concentrations of fine particulate matter in some areas, posing a health risk for some. Those monitoring the situation are waiting for a significant change in the weather to help clear the air. So it looks like uh, based on the current weather forecast, the next couple of days will not be great for helping to remove any of the smoke and that what we really need to see is a more significant weather system move through to help scour out the region. Um, but for the next couple of days, we do expect to see intermittent uh, smoke across the region and it will be highly dependent on where you're located. Those most at risk from the poor air quality include people with underlying chronic conditions, pregnant people, the young and elderly. They are urged to take it easy and stay indoors as much as possible. Coming up, the million bottle pledge. A BC man on a mission to pick up after all the litter bugs. And the Vancouver Canucks scorer who hopes his season starts the way it ended. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Raising money and repelling all the way down a skyscraper, the Easter Seals Drop Zone charity event made its return to Burnaby this morning. Check this out. It's our own Yvonne Shell looking very confident and brave harnessed up and bravely making her way down Metro Tower 1. Of course, this incredible feat is all for a good cause. The Drop Zone Challenge raises money for the Easter Seals overnight camp that offers an accessible camp experience for people living with disabilities. I've done this three years. Uh, I didn't do it this year, but overall I was able to raise almost $20,000 for my, with myself and some team members, and I did it in my wheelchair. So you were saying how exhilarating it is because at the beginning you're working against gravity and you're leaning off of the side of a 20-story building with glass. 
Money also goes to Easter Seals House, which provides low-cost places to stay for parents and children. Just go to the dropzone.ca for more information about how you can donate or if you're feeling brave to take part yourself. Way to go, Yvonne. Yes, and luckily they had some good weather for it too. Let's bring in meteorologist Christy mm -hmm. Gordon for a look at what's ahead. Yes, it was a it was a good day to repel. <laughs> if you are into that kind of thing. Good day to repel. I wonder if it was a bit smokier up there though for them. Because uh, it came and went today, boy. Yeah, it could have been. Um, the air quality health index was low across Metro Vancouver, but it was really heavy again through the East Fraser Valley this morning at a very high risk level. Uh, and it just gives you an example of it coming and going. I want to show you the tower cam though. Currently, this is looking out from New Westminster towards the east, towards the Portman Bridge, as you can see there. And uh, you can see how smoky it is. And really, we will be contending with this for another couple of days. So Wednesday, Thursday, it's not until Friday that we're going to see a more significant change in that air quality. Uh, advisories in place for almost all of southern BC. It includes that BC Peace River area because of that fire near Hudson's Hope. Uh, Chetwin, for example, is just completely smoky, not able to see much sun at all. And we're also dealing with thunderstorms today. That brings gusty winds for the 180 fires that are burning across the province, as well as further lightning strikes. One of the reasons why we could potentially be dealing with this forest fire season into October. Here's a look at the transition tomorrow. We are expecting the potential for some thunderstorms in the Fraser Valley, even a few showers overnight for East Metro Vancouver as it shifts into our region, but then it pulls back out. And then tomorrow afternoon, that risk of thunderstorms is similar to today in that it's all across those interior regions across the south. The north, though, sunshine and warmth, except for that BC Peace River area that's heavy in smoke. The south, smoke will come and go with that risk of thunderstorms, and that chance of showers is in through the Fraser Valley and up through Howe Sound region as well. Metro Vancouver has a slight chance of a shower over overnight or early tomorrow morning. Otherwise, a pleasant day other than the fact that we'll be dealing with smoke for the next two days. Friday's when a few showers will push in and that's when we could finally see some dispersion of the smoke we're dealing with. Tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from Tess Cole. This is looking out over English Bay with that red sun as the sun was setting, making its way through that thick, thick smoke lower down. And Tess is friends with Mark Rodriguez and Sophie. So hi, Tess. Thanks for that. <laughs> We met Tess. All in the at, family. We met Tess at the um, the Audlin Brown Van Open tennis oh, tournament. Great. Yes, so she can be our new weather window contributor. Thanks, Tess. A beautiful shot. <laughs> Thanks very much, Christy. All right, there you see Squire, and uh, he's got what's coming up on sports. All right, we're going to be talking about uh, well, Leas Pedersen. He doesn't want the same start he had last year, so he's been thinking about a strong start to this coming season ever since the last season ended. I had a good summer training, um, didn't really <clears throat> go on any vacation, I was just uh, working out all summer. See that? No vacation, just working out. He'll tell you why he thinks this is going to be a much better season for him. Also tonight he promised to pick up a million bottles. After years of walking the roadsides, see how close he is later. There it is. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say gonna... New Year. Yeah, New Year. But same chant, maybe? I don't know. If they keep winning the way they did last year. I think they were the 11th best team win percentage-wise after Bruce took over. Hmm. It was that first part under the other guy that 
didn't work out so well. <laughs> the other and the Canucks are betting that the team we saw after the coaching change last December is the real Vancouver Canucks. The Boudreaux team was way better than the green team. A lot of players seemed to play like a weight was lifted off their shoulders once Bruce Boudreaux took over. Maybe none more so than Elias Pettersson. There will always be nerves on the first day of school, but if you're returning to a fun and familiar environment, there will be plenty of smiles and laughs on that first day, too. Oh, I realize now I haven't talked English in a while. So. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I mean, I felt good. I'm just trying to get back to like the usual habits of uh, playing the right way. So, um, yeah, felt uh, maybe the third period I felt the legs weren't there, but I mean, it's the first day I haven't skated since Friday, so um, I'll feel a lot better tomorrow. It's understandable that the conditioning isn't where Elias Pettersson would like it to be, but if there's one thing that we learned about Pettersson from last season is that he can overcome adversity. Before becoming co-leader with 32 goals for the Canucks last season, he had just four through his first 25 games. It sucks it happened, but I'm also like glad it happened because I, I got experience from it. And I took myself out of it. Elias Pettersson red hot. Mentally getting out of a rut is a valuable trait for a goal scorer because there will be times when the puck just isn't going in. Pettersson spent some time this offseason reflecting on the down and up season. I grown from that and learned like why it happened and then why I had the second half of the season, why I played like that and was basically it's two different me's out there and I was just playing with a lot more confidence in the second half. Figuratively, it may have seemed like there were two different Pettersons, but there were literally two different coaches. The Ford scored 12 points through the first 25 games under Travis Green, then recorded 56 points in 55 games under Bruce Boudreaux. We know how good we played uh, ever since Bruce came in and how close we were even to make the playoffs. Making the playoffs shouldn't be an issue this season if the Canucks perform the way they did under Boudreaux down the stretch. And Pedersen is also hoping for a smoother start to the campaign since he isn't recovering from a wrist injury or negotiating a contract, which was the case last year. I mean, I didn't have a training camp last season. I came in, expectations were even higher, as they should. But um, I was just... Um, um, focusing on the wrong things or what people want to see from me instead of just focusing on myself. I mean, I don't have the exact answer why it happened, but I like to think I've learned from it, and I'm, obviously I feel, I can tell I just feel a lot better. Seattle's 17-16 win over Russell Wilson and Denver last night was a win not only for the fans of the Seahawks, but by the fans as well. They didn't cheer Russell Wilson, they booed him. And they also did what they do best at Lumen Field. They made so much noise, the Broncos took way too many penalties and made way too many mistakes. That's why Seahawk fans are called the 12s, to signify them as the 12th man. And Pete Carroll is forever grateful. It was a great night. Fans were ridiculous. The 12s were so good tonight. God dang, they were great. Oh, and I'm so, so pleased that we could give them a game like this and they could have that much fun. But they were incredibly good. And uh, we're so lucky. We're so lucky that we get to play here. And, and, and our fans love it so much. And they, they perform like that on game day. It was awesome. The Fraser Valley Bandits of the Canadian Elite Basketball League announced two big changes today. First off, they've been bought off the league by local owners, Kevin Dollywall and Brian Slusserchuk. Instead of being the Fraser Valley Bandits, they will now be known as the Vancouver Bandits. Bandits make that, but they will still play their home games at the Langley Event Centre. 
it really is a Vancouver area team. And we saw last year, near the end of the season, more and more people coming out from Vancouver, from Burnaby, from right across the bridge in Coquitlam and Maple Ridge, in addition to the people coming from this basketball hotbed of the Fraser Valley. So I think it's just a, a perfect name that represents the region. And also, there's real brand identity with it across Canada, whereas the Fraser Valley may be unknown to some people outside of British Columbia. Whitecaps are home tomorrow at BC Place against the LA Galaxy. Game time is 7 o'clock. The Cats' playoff chances are pretty thin. Uh, they've gone winless in their last four games. Uh, Davis Cup today, Canada, South Korea, Felix Auger-Aliassime and Vashik Pospisil doing the doubles thing. And this was a decisive match. Canada needed this one for the win and they would get it. So the Canadians beat South Korea 2-1. We'll play Spain on Friday. There you go. Be tough facing those two across the net. Thank you, Squire. All right, up next, the Million Bottle Man cleaning our roads one piece of trash at a time. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, more reaction tonight to the B.C. government's decision to close schools and give public workers the day off Monday, the day of the Queen's funeral. Plus, you'll meet the Vancouver Island artist who finally has this piece of carved stone back in his possession. It had been in the custody of the Royal B.C. Museum, which somehow insisted it was an ancient indigenous artifact. It was actually carved five years ago by Ray Boudreau, a hobbyist who is not Indigenous. The full story tonight on Global News at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Very intriguing. Mm -hmm. Well, Andy Sward was on a bucket list cross-country walk to bring attention to recycling when he noticed a lot of trash along the roads. That inspired him to make a pledge to pick up a million bottles, cans and cups along Canadian highways. And on This Is BC, Jay Durant catches up to Andy almost 10 years into his mission. One more down, 840,000 still to go. What started as a bucket list walk across Canada to raise awareness about recycling turned into something so much more. The litter on the side of the road bothered me right from day one leaving Tofino. For nearly a decade, Andy Sward has spent practically all of his free time picking up other people's trash. My last vacation was uh, running up the Sea to Sky Highway between Whistler and Pemberton, uh, picking up garbage for 12 hours a day. Along the uh, up trail uh, to St. Marie. The Million Bottle Pledge has taken him across the country several times. So long, son. Thanks for coming out to play today. His one-man cleanup crew has grown over the years. Without help, he'll never reach his goal. Coast to coast, I have friends in uh, almost every city now that will come out and run 20, 30 kilometers for me and help uh, clean up around their city as well. Oh, it's been a tough day. He's, uh, He's bagging as much litter as he can, pushing a baby buggy every step of the way on some grueling open roads. The Rocky Mountains, you have the long gradual climb, but Northern Ontario have some really, really steep uh, up and down hills. At the, at the end of the day, I do sleep well. Consider I'm, on, I'm in a tent on the ground, I, I sleep like a baby. <laughs> His biggest fans are in Pemberton, where he's given a number of talks to elementary students. When they see me, uh, you know, coming onto the schoolyard, they start start uh, applauding and then cheering and everything. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty special. Always saving up for his next excursion, Andy's pulling double shifts in the catering business, raising funds for enough food and a lot of footwear. Working two, two full-time jobs and two part-time jobs now. 
uh, just to try and make as much money as I can. There's still a tremendous amount of ground to cover on this mission. Sad to say the litter is always here, like even in the most beautiful part of our country. No more. And just maybe a well-deserved vacation when it's all over. And maybe another 20, 30 years. We'll see. We'll see if I can pick up the pace here. Maybe when I hit, hit that million balls, cans, and cups cleaned up, then I'll uh, I'll find a nice vacation in a cabin by a, a lake or in the mountains somewhere. Jane Durant, Global News. Oh man, I hope that dream comes true mm -hmm. for Andy. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, just email your ideas to Jay directly at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And good for him, but it does just still boggle my mind that people toss their trash. Yeah, what's up with that? How does it happen? A lot of it, let's be honest, a lot of it does accidentally fly out the back of pickup trucks. It does, okay, but, but a lot of people throw it but out But also the sidewalks, you know, it just, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah just don't do it. I even seen it on golf courses and I've never seen a pickup truck on a golf course. That's true. That is true. Good point. Good point. Last word, Christy, quick in five seconds. Sure. So uh, we do have some showers or thunderstorms possible overnight, especially out through the Fraser Valley. Otherwise, smoky and dry for a couple of days. All right. Good night, everyone. Good night, all.